chemically in the brain is very much like an orgasm for women. Transmission incoming. Welcome to the Potable Picture Show. Let's do it. Episode 0064, Learning to Get Porked by the World. You've entered the Potable Picture Show, your podcast dedicated to motion pictures and drinking liquors. I'm your host, Kevin McRae. You can call me Blarv. I'm here to tell you this podcast may contain explicit content. September is back to school month for the Picture Show. So all of September, we're going to have a theme around education and learning and school movies. A lot of these are going to be on Netflix, so you can follow along with us at home. Here is our tentative schedule. This is up for change, perhaps. But we do have, uh, this week, we will be talking about the documentary film On the Way to School, which you can find on Netflix. And we will also be talking about the film The Diary of a Teenage Girl, which is in uh, was in limited release. I don't know if it's went to wide release, but you may be able to find that. On week two, we will be doing a combination of Election and Clueless, both on Netflix. Week three, you will be able to look for Heathers, Mean Girls, and High School Hellcats, also all on Netflix. In week four, we will have Billy Madison and Back to School. And in week five, we will have Romy and Michelle's High School Reunion, whatever it's called, The D-Train and School of Rock. I have sent out invitations with the schedule to most of our previous members or participants of the podcast. Hoo-ha, Wishing Wells, Handsome Rob, Peanut. We'll see who ends up showing up. There's been some interest, so perhaps you will see some returning guests on the podcast in the coming days. I realize there is a lot of films that could have gone on with this genre that we left out. Um, We kind of stayed, for the most part, on the movies that come to mind, kind of the mainstream ones. We could have uh, swerved off a little bit and maybe combined a couple military, military training movies or uh, music school. I mean, there's a lot of lot of movies out there about, about school or kids in school are that age, like Superbad and American Pie and so on and so on. Anyway, on this episode, we will be talking about On the Way to School and The Diary of a Teenage Girl. We will also have a cocktail in Cocktail Corner, Death of a Virgin, and um, we'll do a bit of ranks and a new outro song this week. So we have a lot to get started on. Let's head into the cantina and up to the VIP booth and get today's show started. Oh, here I am on my pillows, on my tiger skin blanket, surrounded by wires and microphones and half-eaten enchiladas, which I would like to finish eating, 
But I was reading on a story that one of the most annoying sounds, there's a phobia about it that uh, tops most people's list as far as annoying sound is the sound of people eating. Which I understand. I hate listening to people pop, eat popcorn or uh, people that eat loud chips while I'm trying to watch a Netflix movie, something like that. Anyway, joining me, it's only one other person in the room. It is two of us, but unless you count the King's Rally monkey hanging from the rafters, we do have the head organizer of the Sierra Nevada Movie Club. You know her. You partially dislike her. You seldom admire her. But you give her an A for effort. Her? Seldom admire me? Her, her name. <laughs> well, I'm just, you know, not everybody. I'm just saying generally. <laughs> Her name is Heathen. Hello. Hi, Heathen. All those people who seldom admire me. <laughs> I don't know. I told you that I was going to flub my words because I had a lot to get into. I actually had a lot of notes I wanted to write down and didn't have a chance to write them. So hopefully I remember. I hate it when I have a podcast and at the end of the podcast afterwards or a couple hours later, I'm like, oh, fuck, I forgot to bring that part up or I skipped that whole segment. So there's some things. And I'm sitting here, you know, one thing about VIP booths and a lot of clubs, including the cantina, it's often kind of a shadowy environment. So they can't see what you're doing back there if you're with some prostitutes or with someone not your wife or with a bunch of Colombian blow. So it's hard for me to read my notes. Although, to look scholarly today, I am wearing my academic glasses to go along with the with the theme. Very nice. Mm-hmm. 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 So, what do you think about this month's foray into the theme of back to school? Um, I think it's going to be a pleasant change getting away from um, all of the movies that we see every week with the movie group. So, it'll be a nice switch up, I think, for the podcast. Yeah, and hopefully we can get some random guests in here, some fresh blood. Hopefully Eugene can come back. He said he's been wanting to, and it's easier for him when it's Netflix movies. And... Theoretically, people have nearly 30 days now to watch some of these movies, depending on what they want to watch. Here's what I'm worried about. So we've got some interest where people have said they want to see certain movies or, or want to come in and talk about it. And what they are generally picking are mostly movies they've already seen. And I'm afraid that they're either not going to watch the movie recently. So, for example, I've seen both Heathers and Mean Girls within the last... Um, well, Mean Girls I just watched like a couple weeks ago, and Heather's I watched a few months ago. I'm still going to go ahead and rewatch them. Election I just watched a couple months ago. All of these I'm going to go in and watch them again fresh, ready to take notes. That's my worry about some of these people that come on the podcast. They just come in kind of blasé. They don't take any notes. They don't come in with an academic mindset. They just come in like, it's time to drink and waste everyone's time. Well, then we should uh, send out a note saying, you know, please make sure you watch these. So my anyway, so my worry is they won't do nothing. And also, some of these have themed pairings, like um, Election and Clueless kind of go together. Heather's Mean Girls and High School Hellcats. Those all go together because Heather's what they they were all they 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 were a group of Heather's Mean Girls. They joined the Plastics. High School Hellcats. They joined a group called the Hellcats. I'm afraid because a lot of people want to come in for Heather's or Mean Girls that they'll only watch one of those or two of those, and they won't watch the High School Hellcats one. It's required reading. This is like your syllabus. This is, this is your syllabus to take home, and you come in, and I'm going to give you a pop quiz. Mm-hmm. Just like in the pornos. Interesting. We'll have to see what you come up with. So, speaking of pop, I just popped open my drinking 
Beverage? I guess most beverages are for drinking. Hey, heathen. Did you see that uh, email that went out about the random words that we were supposed to have used at CanFest? No. So, heathen and I went to CanFest, as you know if you listened to the last podcast, and we drank a lot of beers, and they had a thing there. It's like a little community newsletter, an e-newsletter that's uh, put out by the local newspaper, the Gannett Publishing Company or something. And they said if you sign up your email address to get this e-letter, they will be required to use a random word in their stories, as long as it's not um, profanity. And they did not use heathens or my word. They thanked all the people that provided words at the bottom, leaving heathen and my names out of it. And I know that they got my email because they emailed me the story. My, my, my word was potable, not potable. Maybe they thought it was potable. Maybe there were a bunch of ignorant people and thought I... But still, that wouldn't have been uh, profanity. Well, I can see why they might not have used mine, but... Copulate it's... is not a profanity word. No. Fucking is. Right, but we should definitely email them and say, well, take us off your list because that's, you said that you were going to use it. Yeah, it even it even prefaces the story. So my sipping beverage is um, the Banquet of Beers, which is Coors. I was almost going to do Coors and, and Cocktail Corner, but I thought maybe we'd already had done Coors and Cocktail Corner before. I could not remember. I need to make an index on the website and have an easy reference actually i was trying to think if we've even done death of a virgin before in cocktail corner no i don't think all so. these drinks just run together um but yeah the reason i'm doing coors is in the movie the diary of a teenage girl the uh boyfriend the main the main guy eric the vampire from true blood he uh he was often drinking these beers that looked like they were called uh Shortstop or something like that, but uh, at one time he was drinking a Coors, and that is what I am drinking. What are you drinking, Heather, as you're sipping beer? It's just a light Chardonnay out of the um, Santa Crawl cup. Hmm. You just pretty much have a reoccurring sipping beverage. You're like, <laughs> you're loyal. I am. That is one thing that's good about me. After the last podcast, or the one before that, I think it was the last one, um... Listener Kellen sent a picture of a giant box of wine, like yeah, we were but talking it wasn't about. Even the right one. Like we were talking about on the podcast when I was saying my mom used to drink like a big old box of bottles and James and said, Here's Heathen's box. But of course, Heathen is very picky. I would have drank that. Like I said, I would have thrown that in with some Sprite. I would have. You know. No, I said uh, Red Box would be good. Red Box? Like where you get movies? No, it's called Red Box. Does it come in a giant box like that? Like a big old... Oh, no, it's black black box. Sorry. Yeah, black box doesn't come... Or does black box come in boxes that big? I know they do have big sizes. They do. problem with black box is it's expensive, where typical box wine is, is, a, is a good deal. Hmm. It's a nice... And you do, do, do typically drink cheap wine, like Sutter Home or Barefoot, which is both gross i guess i would choose sutter home over barefoot but those are that's a difficult it's a difficult what do they call that is that a sophie's choice right there i've been trying to find some different roses that i like too Mm-hmm. Not anyway the, not the last one well i guess that's enough of an introduction it's about 10 minutes worth are you ready to go and yes. to do your news oh i forgot to, to uh if you are a new listener anytime you hear the sound about hitting a baby one thing before I... Well, I'll, I'll go ahead and finish that. If you hear a sound about hitting a baby, go ahead and have a drink with us, which we'll do right now. 
that's that's fine to hit this baby. But I get kind of annoyed when I hear other podcasts that think about implementing drinking games into their podcasts. That's our that's our territory. That's like Crips and Bloods right there. Also, I do want to say that he even scooped another fellow podcast news by four or five days. And I think we covered it better. Mm, thank you. That's the they first even, compliment I've had from you in a long time. They even time. had to explain who Slash was. We don't, our listeners know who Slash is. Anyway, head into the news. Kate Blanchett is going to be playing Lucille Ball in an upcoming movie. Hmm. The film doesn't have a title yet, but it'll be centered around a very important, a very important time in Lucille Ball's life in her 20-year marriage to Desi Arnaz. It's going to be based uh, during the time they started uh, together on the universally beloved sitcom I Love Lucy. So that should be interesting. Yeah, I... Um... I don't know much about Lucille Ball outside of her TV persona. Obviously, there's more to her. I, I, uh, I would occasionally see her on those old, like, Dean Martin roasts, you know? Mm-hmm. And it would always strike me as weird, especially as a kid. Because as a kid, when you had three or four channels, you'd see the old I Love Lucy black and white uh, things. And then you'd see the Dean. And then later, you know, a little bit later, when you'd see the, you know, her smoking. And, you know, kind of kind of like if you were used to seeing, like... <clears throat> Judy Garland or something when like all you knew her from was Wizard of Oz as a kid and then you saw her older when she was all kind of a haggard dried up whore mm, I don't know if I would call her that but she's always <laughs> been kind of uh, more like the Carol Burnett kind of a but I, I would yeah yeah I, I, very uh, physical comedy which which I, I like for the most part um, slapsticky very uh, emotive with her face uh, you know famous sketches like the Pie Factory but again not knowing much about her or Desi Arnaz um, I would be interested in seeing this movie to see if he how they casted him if there was any I'm sure there's going to be a lot of drama with them pitching the show um, especially because what he was. Well, he was Puerto Rican, right? <laughs> so he wasn't he wasn't Cuban, but Oh I, no, he was. He was Cuban. Was he Cuban? Mm-hmm. So I'm again if we're wrong you can write in and yell at yell us about it because this is probably obvious stuff to a lot of people. Again, I'm not familiar with, with this side of things, but if he was Cuban and you know, this was during kind of a sensitive time somewhat in America's relations with Cuba, I just wonder how, how hard that was to get that show pitched to T V and how much they had to battle. I do know that this is one of the shows they mention with the television code where they specifically, I think, had to show them sleeping in separate beds still. Yeah. I was just kind of looking at some of Kate Blanchett's recent work just to see what she'd been working on. Well, recently we saw her in Cinderella as the stepmother. Um, she should be able to because she's the type of actress that like really gets engrossed in her... Um role it, it's weird i'm looking at her just our i don't you don't call it discography filmography right now um and and there's so many movies i don't remember her in like that are bigger movies or i guess she's just kind of forgettable i mean i usually when i think of her as i think of like the lord of the rings movies because she was kind of creepy anyway uh this next one i thought might rile up uh portland mike 
Mm-hmm. Five reasons Mad Max Fury Road was the summer's best movie. Yeah, so I posted this, or not that maybe not this story, but a story similar um, on our Facebook movie page, uh, facebook.com. Go to Sierra Nevada Movie Club. And there was a story about why uh, Mad Max is better than any other Oscar contender out there so far. So go ahead and tell us. I don't think that this was this is what it is, but I think this actually is- speaking about the Oscars, they're going to have two hosts this year. Oh, so we can go back to the one when we had James Franco and uh, Anne Hathaway, the one that really sucked. Uh, no, they were trying to get uh, uh, Keenan Peel, maybe? Keenan Peel. Yeah, that'd be cool. Anyway, uh, number one, it took massive risks and still succeeded. Uh, George Miller was given $150 million to create it, and um, they well superseded. $150 million is relatively low budget for what it looked like. Um, I don't think you should award a movie for taking risks. There's a lot of movies that take risks. Some are very interesting, like I think Boyhood, one of the reasons it got so much acclaim is because it took a huge risk that was different, that you obviously could see. Mad Max, I don't know that you can appreciate the risk without knowing the story. I, I'm looking at it from like just... We know the Oscar judges have their own preferences, but if you were just a person and given a screener and you knew nothing about the movie, you know, I don't think you should take into account things like that. It's a sequel that actually builds upon its predecessors. Mm-hmm. Um, contrary to Portland, Mike, I think this was much better than, like, The Thunderdome. It's a return to power, a powerful sequel. I think the best Bad Max movie was probably the second one, uh, but this one was really good. It's gloriously over the top. Again, something I don't usually like, going to Michael B. words. Um, I'm not a big fan of summer explosion movies for no reason, but and also I'm not typically a fan of MTV-style flash editing, which this movie had all those things, but for this movie I liked it. I think um, it added to the tempo, it added to the pace. It did have some slow edits on slower times, but during the action, there was the edits really um, added to the excitement, I felt. Simple plot plus rounded characters equal cinematic triumph. I just, I just, uh, I, I do, I, okay, is that, was that the last one or is there one more? One more. Um, simple plot, pretty easy. Basically, just a 90 hour chase movie. And well-rounded characters, I would say they weren't too well-rounded. They were more than one-dimensional, but not maybe they were two-dimensional. <laughs> not super deep. Well, I guess I guess maybe what he's talk what they're talking about is like each character kind of had their own little thing, but you didn't really understand why they were spraying their mouths with the no, spray so just like little later. little details. Just, yeah, mm-hmm. those kind of things. Um, it proves there is still room for originality in Blockbuster. In the Blockbuster. Yeah. Um, so again, this probably ranks as my second favorite film of the year after Inside Out. But as I commented on our movie page, I don't see it winning any major awards. I see it winning maybe some technical awards like editing. I don't think... I think there's going to be a lot of... Um, Better suited actors and actors or more maybe Oscar worthy, you know, the usual deep, like uh, usually biographies win a lot like we've saw in the past with the Stephen Hawking movie. Um, 
the, uh, the, just the whole story. I mean, simple stories don't usually win Oscars. I could maybe see Best Director at, at I most. I think they were mostly talking about like the guy on the front of the car with the guitar. Yeah, but that um, kind of stuff doesn't win Oscars. I know. No, we're just talking about it's the, the summer's best movie or whatever. Summer's best movie. Uh, definitely the summer's best action movie and probably one of the best action movies for a long time. Pumpkin beers are cropping up earlier than ever. This is interesting. Um, I just want to say before you go into it, I've been hearing a lot about pumpkin beers recently. Maybe that's why. And everyone, there's a lot of stories out now saying how horrible they are. And I'll let you go ahead and tell the story, and then we'll talk about our idea of pumpkin beers. Well, uh, people start getting a hankering around August because that's, you know, towards the end of summer, even though summer doesn't actually start until like around or finish until around the 23rd. Um, But, you know, in August, you start going, okay, we're kind of done with the heat. Let's go into another season. Do you think Glenn Danzig should do a pair, or I mean, Weird Al Yankovic should do a parody song of Glenn Danzig's mother and call it Summer? Huh. Anyway. I think you should call it Heather. They should stop moving everything up, like Christmas shopping in July and Thanksgiving in March and pumpkins in Yeah, they were talking about Christmas merchandise near Halloween. Um, Last year, from September to November... A seasonal beer has accounted for more than 20% of the $19.5 billion that they made. Uh, Blue Moon's Harvest Pumpkin Ale, first released in 1995, is among those uh, becoming available now. Mm -hmm. Um, For two main reasons. First, it means um, that their beer is available when it first gets pumpkin on their minds. And second, it ensures that they reach their peak distribution by september and october so last year i tried a bunch of pumpkin beers and what i did is i kind of waited until after halloween kind of the tail end of the autumn season when total wine had a lot of them on sale and then i went and i tried a lot of them and i found most of them i did not like and heathen and i talked about this with uh i think our first 10 questions with person jay whitlow and we all kind of agreed the problem with pumpkin beers is a problem with a lot of flavored beers is the flavor is very artificial in a lot of these. like um, Just like the flavor of orange. Or like uh, or grape. my problem with a lot of vanilla stouts is that it feels like that someone just took some vanilla extra- extract and added it to the beer. It right. doesn't feel authentic. Where there is a few pumpkin beers I've had where the pumpkin is more subdued or in the background, and I like that. The beer's just kind of light with a little touch of pumpkin. Or there's certain, I guess, brewers that add the pumpkin at a different stage, and they use, like, the real pumpkin kind of mush. And There was that one pumpkin beer that we had. Yeah, it was orange. It was orange, and it definitely tasted like it was very home home brewed, mm-hmm. which was nice. So I guess it still depends if you like the taste of flavored beers. I mean, if you're a person that just doesn't like pumpkin, then maybe you're not going to like any pumpkin beers. I don't know what I think about... I, I, I think I like pumpkin. I like pumpkin cheesecake around this time or that time of year. Um, I used to love pumpkin pie. It used to be my favorite thing about Thanksgiving, but I kind of got OD'd on that. I love it I still. got OP'd. So that was my news, but then there was one more piece kind of going with the teenage. I like teenage. a good piece. 
teenage, uh, high school kind of thing that we're doing or love. Was it another shoot 'em up? Uh, no. No. Amanda Peterson from Can't Buy Me Love. Can't Buy Me Love. The movie. Uh-huh. Um, opposite Patrick Dempsey in 1987. Mm-hmm. I remember she seeing died that. of an accidental. Overdose. Why do you quote accidental? Well, because she had antipsychotic medication, anti-anxiety medication, opiates, and marijuana in her system at the time of death. Um, she died of respiratory failure brought on by a morphine effect. So basically, her body just forgot to breathe. Well, at least she was a little bit older. I mean, it's still sad. 43? <laughs> well, I mean, compared to, um, I'm talking about um, drawing a blank now. The 27 effect, Amy Winehouse, well, Janice Joplin. <laughs> not them. I was, trying, I was trying to think of someone that was, yeah, she might have been 27. It was before 30, um, about three or four years ago. Died in her bathroom. Sorry, I can't, I can never remember names off the top of my head while Whitney I'm talking Houston? at the same time. No, the oh. blonde girl. Oh... Um, she didn't really have titties. Yeah, um, anyway, talking about she was in um, Clueless. Yeah, I would. Uh, she was also, I believe, in Eight Mile, opposite Eminem. Uh, she was pretty good in that. Actually, Eight Mile is an underrated movie. I Something believe. Murphy. Oh yeah, Brittany Murphy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I, my taste in women tend to change, but I remember thinking that she was hot back then, around Eight Mile time. Which is weird because that's not really my type, kind of skinny, uh, coked out looking chicks. But hmm. Hmm. is that your news? That's my news. Great news. We'll see who steals that from us this week. You didn't do any Wes Craven news, but it reminded me of um, that uh, similar to the Game of Thrones, uh, where I feel kind of protective and ownership of it because I read it before all these other people. I was almost the first person on the internet beating. Radio stations and TV stations and fellow horror people by hours. At least an hour in most cases. All right, let's head into... You're always good at that, though. No, not always. You I usually, are. I usually just don't even post anything if I'm that late. But, again, I saw... Not to give credit where credit is due. I was on it. All right, let's head into Cocktail Corner. I see America drinking the fabulous cocktails I make... America's getting stinking on something I stir or shake. So I love that. That's like my favorite. Often in Cocktail Corner, I don't know if you guys hear this buzz in the background. I don't know what that is. These microphones are sensitive, and we can barely hear the sound when the when the headphones are off. There might be some tractor beast out there, but um. We often do a themed cocktail in Cocktail Corner, and this week we are doing Death of a Virgin because the diary of a teenage girl basically starts with the line, holy shit, I had sex today. I think that's the first line in the movie. Right. 15-year-old girl. Uh, Death of a Virgin, when I was living with my roommate when I was around 21, we had a couple drinks we would make, and this was one of them. Uh, It's kind of one of those several drinks out there like that, panty droppers. Well, I mean, that's the name of a drink, but it's also literal. They're usually drinks that you can hide some alcohol in that don't taste alcoholic. I wouldn't call them necessarily fruity or girly drinks, although this is kind of a, a fruity drink, but not necessarily on the sweet end. 
So this is a pretty easy drink to, to make. What you're gonna need is some vodka, some lime juice, some uh, peach schnapps, some 7-Up or Sprite, and some orange juice. A note about limes, which I had left out of the last podcast when I talked about squeezing limes for margaritas. You do want to use, when you can, real limes, not lime juice, like pre-made lime juice and the little plastic lime thing. And when you're picking out limes for squeezing, what you want to look for, here's a tip for you little produce people out there, squeezing limes for your cocktails. You want to look for the unattractive limes. I know like the bright green ones are the usually ones that stand out, but the bright green ones often have a thick skin. They're a little hard to squeeze. You want uh, limes that feel kind of squishy. Often they're miscolored, like uh, yellow, um, you know, have the spots. Those ones tend to be really juicy, really easy to squeeze. A good medium-sized lime. Usually you're able to get a lot of juice out of The small ones a little bit hard, big ones. I still always roll mine over my palm on the counter. Yeah. But I'm just saying, you know, those ugly li- Like when we go produce shopping, a lot of people don't go for the ugly fruit. And the lime limes are one of those those ugly fruits. Was it, was it yours? I don't know. I was watching something recently about... Uh, oh, no, I think that was a Netflix thing. About America throwing out all their ugly fruit. How much produce we waste based on cosmetics and there's like a a market coming out that's going to be selling ugly fruit Hmm. um again very first world problem when we're throwing out perfectly good fruit because it's not attractive um so anyway uh you're gonna take a ounce and a half of vodka in this case we are using this is almost death of a smurf virgin we're using some blueberry infused vodka um, so you're going to take an ounce and a half of regular vodka typically, but we're going to go with the blueberry in this case. You're going to take an ounce and a half of peach schnapps. You're going to squeeze in an ounce of lime juice. That's probably going to be about two limes um, for an ounce of lime juice. Then you're going to put, be putting all this in a Collins glass. You know, you're going to take a Collins glass of so those tall, tall glasses. Um, you could do it with a pine glass or something else, I suppose, but Collins glasses are always great for this. Fill it with ice, put in your ounce of lime, your ounce and a half of vodka, your ounce and a half of peach schnapps. Then from there, you're going to fill it um, halfway up with uh, with the remainder with orange juice. Then you're going to take the other half and finish it off with 7-Up. Then you're going to gently stir. You don't want to vigorously stir this because of the carbonation of the 7-Up. You just want to give it a gentle stir. You want to give... Um, so I've gone ahead and poured one of these, made one of these, and I've handed it to Heathen. You want to give your cocktail a gentle stir. And what I'd like to toast to this week, there's a lot of things to toast to. I was thinking of several things, uh, like football coming back and things like that. But something that was really great that happened last night, as, as we mentioned, um, that we will not always be going to the movies with the Sierra Nevada Movie Club as often now because of scheduling. The Sierra Nevada Movie Club did go last night to see uh, No Escape, which a couple of the members of the club said was a great movie. However, it is getting pretty awful reviews, and it doesn't look like my cup of tea. But Heathen and I went to a late movie. We went to a 1040 showing of The Diary of a Teenage Girl, and we were the only people in the movies. So you've heard, if you've heard me on the podcast before, you've heard me complaining constantly of... Sunflower sea eaters and hooters and people that breathe too loud. And I mostly only complain about babies. And there was none of that. Heathen, don't drink that yet. And 
It was the two of us. It was really great, other than I didn't really want to sit next to Heathen because she was kind of mean to me when I was... <laughs> During the previews during Facebook, I wanted to comment how great it was to be the only ones in the theater. And she's like, oh, I might as well just go to the theater by itself. What do you do with you? So anyway, I did enjoy being able to relax <laughs> and have the movie to myself. I drink to that. Hey then, toast. Jesus. Cheers. It's very much like a sunset, like a blueberry sunset. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, yeah, I was going to say this is one of the drinks that my roommate and I used to make. We just make like a big old uh, like vat of it and just feed it to people. But it's a pretty tasty drink. It's kind of a summer drink, a barbecue drink. It's um, kind of similar to like a Bahama Mama or something like that, which is a rum drink. This almost seems like it could be a rum drink is all I'm saying. So I know you're not a fan of the flavors and oranges in the peach snobs, so peach is probably a little strong for you. If you were making this, you probably would have... I would have halved the schnapps. Half the schnapps and up the vodka. Yeah. Yeah, that's... that's the, Oops, that's the way you do things. <laughs> so, let's head into... Feature presentation. We're going to talk a little bit about a couple movies uh, in feature presentation. As I mentioned, we saw two movies, uh, On the Way to School, Netflix documentary, and The Diary of a Teenage Girl. I'm going to read the descriptions of both of these actually back to back, and then I'm going to kind of run the questions together, kind of comparing the movies. On the Way to School, this was released technically in 2013 under the French name Sur le chemin de l'école. Um, here's the synopsis. Jackson, the Kenyan, Carlito, the Argentinian, Zahira, the Mo uh, Moroccan, Samuel, the Indian. Four children who live light years away from each other and who have never met but have a common point. They have to cover tremendously long distance distances to reach their school. I wouldn't always say it's tremendously. Um, on foot, on horseback, or in a wheelchair, but all with an extraordinary determination. Eh, kind of some hyperbole there. I don't and then, think you should be judging it, but And okay. then uh, The Diary of a Teenage Girl. A teen artist living in 1970 San Francisco enters into an affair with her, with her mother's boyfriend. Okay, so those are our two movies. My first question is, and we can talk about these movies and then we can talk about them, uh, this question generally. First topic is... Uh, encountering obstacles and dangers and those are things that we kind of have to pass and surpass as we enter adulthood all of us do it and the all the children in these movies had to do that so do you want to explain some of those obstacles even well we had the uh somalia the first, kenya no the kenya kids we're afraid to get trampled by um, elephants. So we'll start with them. Um, they had to walk 9.3 miles each way every day. Um, yeah, through like Saharan environment. Mm -hmm. And 
there was a part where it, I told Heathen reminded me of a sports team. They go up on a hill and they're trying to figure out the elephants that day, and they're making a, a strategy or a plan about oh the elephants are there. Let's do this. Let's do that. Um, we had uh, the girl from Morocco. The girls from Morocco, they had to walk over what looked like like mountains. Mm-hmm. It looked like a pretty pretty difficult thing. Uh, that was over 13 and a half miles they had to do once a week. So they had a boarding school. They went like every Monday and then I guess probably came back on Friday. Um, but a pretty long walk for, uh, I think she was 11 years old, they said. Then we had Carlito. He had it pretty easy. Him and his sister... Um, they took a Started horse to school. Humans. Yeah. Yeah, and they only had 11 miles to go, but that's pretty easy and it was on all a horse. by horseback, yeah. yeah. And a healthy horse, healthy kids. They were by far had the better situation. The more modern situation, their house had I think so. things like a radio and, and mirrors where a lot of these other kids kind of, uh, basically lived in huts with, mm-hmm. you know, um, making cooking food over a little fire and a pan. And then we had possibly... Well, what Heathen thinks was the most arduous journey. We had Samuel. You want to? Uh, they he had two and a half miles to go each way. But you want to explain the difficulty in their journey? Um, him. It, well, Samuel was in a wheelchair, and the wheelchair wasn't a typical wheelchair. It was one of the plastic lawn chairs that you have outside um, with uh, tires, like bike tires, not a wheelchair tire. Um, and his brothers and him would trek through, you said, two and a half miles? Two and a half miles, a lot of it sand over rivers. I mean, over imagine... rivers, everything. And, and if you get a pop tire on a wheelchair, um, that's not a typical wheelchair wheel. You still have to get it fixed, or if it the rim's bent, it's typical for bicycles. And things. these brothers looked like they were probably his younger brothers. So imagine like maybe like an eight-year-old and a ten-year-old uh, pushing a wheelchair through sand for two and a half miles. Mm-hmm. Um, there was a part where it wasn't necessarily funny. Do you need me to pause the? No. There's a part where it wasn't necessarily funny, but I laughed just because sometimes you just there's nothing to do but laugh at misfortune because it just seems absurd that something could be so unfortunate. So there's a part where yeah, their their tire basically falls off, and I just started laughing, and he then hit me. But I was like, I'm not laughing because it's funny. I'm just laughing because life is so cruel sometimes. And then do you want to explain um, some of the obstacles that Minnie had in Diary of a Teenage Girl? Um, she didn't, she was kind of like an outcast, didn't feel very pretty. Um, seemed like a typical teenage girl who just wanted to lose her virginity. Yeah, so out of all of these, she was the one that probably more of us can relate to, especially girls, but probably guys in a way, that a 15-year-old awkward person that just doesn't know how to fit in in the world, doesn't want to be weird, just wants to be loved. That was her main thing. Right. Um, she, I don't think she really understood what love was, but most people don't at 15. No, she just she just wanted to some, somebody to be there and be affectionate with her. And it didn't matter who, obviously, because it was her mother's boyfriend and i think at at 15 i definitely would have known not to ever cross that line but maybe in the 70s things were different but she did say in the movie that um her mom and her boyfriend's relationship was open so i guess that would lead her to believe that included her well there was also a line where she said um 
I didn't know if I wanted him. I just wanted somebody to do it, you know, basically about losing their virginity and kind of that thing. I haven't talked to like guys sometimes, even in their 30s and 40s. They're just like, I appreciate every time we have sex because I don't know. That might be my last time I ever have sex again. I mean, I was just yeah, watching a Seinfeld episode where George is, it's what an early one, like in the first or second I season, to... where George is in the middle of a conversation, says to Elaine and Jerry, honestly, I don't see on paper how I'm ever going to have sex again. Well, just because you want to lose your virginity doesn't mean, I, I mean, I've had a stepdad most of my life, doesn't mean I would ever even think well, that that would ever even be... Well, we'll get to it a little bit later when yeah. we talk about it, or we'll probably disagree, but I really felt like she had a major kind of father complex in, in the movie. But I can understand that happening. I mean, I don't think I have any friends directly it's happened to, but I've heard of that happening before on both sides. Just, well, you know, what I was thinking of was, you know, I was wondering, it's like, I, I always wonder how the Woody Allen Sunni thing happened. So it must have been something somewhat like that. Because that's just weird. How how the, all of a sudden you start fucking your daughter? Um, that's weird. Well. So, these are obstacles that you have to basically surpass to get to adulthood. Some of them are very primal, like not getting stomped by an elephant if you want to get to adulthood, because otherwise you'll just be dead. And others are more emotional, spiritual, mental obstacles. So, how about in the in the real world? you have to go anything through anything like i mean everyone has to go through something like that right trials and tribulations and teenage teenagehood is very it's very difficult emotions are i wouldn't say i mean in a lot of ways <clears throat> the way the way i experience this in my experience my firsthand experience is that i wouldn't say emotions we have as teenagers are false they're just very raw and they're very unrefined. So it's sort of like when you just get a diamond and you haven't because there's no shined filter, it. we haven't developed that part in the brain yet. Well, in a way, um, I kind of miss those kinds of things. Like, in some ways, I don't because when I would feel sad or depressed in high school, it was like the worst thing in the world. But um, I don't think I will ever feel those highs or lows like I did in high school. Um, the feeling of joy. Um, friendships like I, if I make a friend now today or in my 20s or 30s they're never going to be as close as friends that I met um, growing up or in high school because you just kind of create a bond at that time there's no um, you know I'm never going to feel joys or sadnesses or angers or that kind of visceral emotion which again you know I, I it's kind of sad because we just sort of dull our things. I, I was talking about this recently, I think, with you about holidays and nostalgia, how New Year's Eve um, and so certain holidays used to be so important to me. And uh, I had to spend one my first New Year's Eve by myself, and I tried to drink and kind of pass out before New Year's Eve, so I wouldn't care about it. And it's such a stupid thing, but at the time, and this is still when I was like in my early 30s, New Year's Eve is still such a romantic time to me not in the sense of romantic like boy girl but romantic in the sense of old-fashioned um begin again just a sentimental holiday and then once i kind of ruined that new year's even missed it it was just like no big deal again it was just like every other day so i kind of feel like we go through a lot of that stuff in high school we have our heart broken we um we have certain childhood innocences bubbles burst and then kind of a scar 
grows over them and we're, and we're tougher people. We've lost that sensitivity to a lot of those things, but in a lot of times it's it's part of growing up. No, no, no. That might be you. I'm still pretty optimistic about a lot of things. So you feel things just as big as you did in high school? Like everything's um, just as important as depends. when you're young? It depends on the experience that I'm having because it's always a different experience. So... Um, any other obstacles or anything to talk about as far as that goes in the movie or in real life or you see in general with kids today? I don't think that the kids today understand anything about having any obstacles because they're pretty much given it everything. I mean, we were just talking about it at work today, why uh, people that are growing up and just becoming young adults think that they can talk to, um bankers or people in a financial institution the way that they do well manners have probably dropped off but for a long time going back kids have always thought that they were experts and no adult could tell them otherwise about something i hear it a lot and i try to remember what if i was this way and that you know uh, i know in my head i was this way but i do listen to people that are 18 19 20 that talk about things so matter-of-factly and i just think I hope I didn't sound that dumb. Yeah, we did. Maybe you. Like I said, because I think a lot of mine I I just kept in my head. Maybe mine was my attitude, but I don't think I ever outwardly said, like, you don't know what you're talking about, or I talked so matter-of-factly about things. Although I'm sure I did. I told you I ran across a tape uh, recently that I was around 2021, and I was with Eugene, who's been on the podcast, and we were drinking, and the way I was talking about alcohol made me just sound so dumb. You know, and and I hear 18, 19, 20 year old kids talk like that now. And I was like, yeah, I guess I talked like that then. Thought I knew everything about alcohol. And it's just that age. Everybody does. Um, and kind of this is going along with what you just brought up. Um, and there's definitely a difference between, say, many from Diary of a Teenage Girl and the kids in the documentary is an appreciation of what they have. And, and you're talking about the kids today, how they feel kind of entitled. So the documentary opens up with um, the kid from Kenya digging a hole in the sand down until he finds water, then f- sort of filtering it out till it's relatively clean, then washing his school uniform, probably the only time he does it for the week, sounds like, or maybe does it a couple times a week, but he does tell his father later that he washed his school uniform, so I don't think it's an everyday thing. And then drinking some water, and then he has to fill up his water pails because on that long hike they take, him and his brother um, have to carry these these water jugs with them too, as well as sticks. I wasn't sure what those sticks were for. They were like for a, a fire or something because all the kids brought sticks and then threw them in a pile at the end. Mm, maybe that's what they were doing. But just the appreciation, you know, like most kids don't have to go through all. So th- this kid, he... Um, he dug the hole, got the water, washed his clothes, went back, asked his dad if he could help him uh, make the charcoal. Then they had dinner. Then they had to get up like at 6 in the morning, 5 in the morning, and take that huge, huge walk to school where, you know, you really don't see that kind of kids in America having to do that. It's Well, I have said, I've said for a long time, um, even when my kid was in school, that they really need to do away with the school bus system. Either that or broaden 
the mileage. Um, one of my coworkers was really upset that they wouldn't pick her kid up because she was not within a three mile radius. And I was just like, you're kidding me, right? Three miles, your kid can't get a ride or carpool or figure it out. Like it's not that difficult, you know? You know, they have like the shows like Celebrity Wife Swap and um, I can't think of other shows because I'm not really that big into reality shows. But it would be great if they did a um, reality show of a foreign student swap, but except for instead of going someplace nice like, well, I don't know. Even if you brought an American to Paris, that's fine. It's still sufficiently different. But if you had to put... You know, American I'm sure kids. They would still figure out something to complain about. If you put American kids, well, I'm sure, yeah, it's different. That's what I was saying. But if you take American kids and you put them in one of these situations, like um, one of the things I thought was interesting was the girl from Morocco carried most of the way in a basket a live hen, and it cracked me up watching it because it reminded me of like a a Miziaki film or like an anime. It was just the it, it, I really felt like the chicken could have started talking and it would have been a whole story about a girl and her chicken, and then. Yeah. They got most of the way there, and they stopped at like a an open market, a wet market, and she traded it for like a oops a for like a week's worth of, of snacks of yeah. nuts and and, and it different was super things. heavy. Yeah, that she was gonna have to bring back. But and then another obstacle in itself for her in particular was, and they didn't really touch on this until the end. Is not that many, or it's it's a. It's a smaller portion of girls that, that typically go to school traditionally in Muslim countries. I mean, there's a difference between Morocco and Afghanistan, but still, uh, they do talk about at the end that one of the things that she still does is go to the mountain towns and the remote towns and tries to convince the families to let their girls go to school. And that she had talked to her grandmother and asked if she had gone to school. I did look up the, the, liter- the literacy rates for these countries. They're not that bad but for example morocco 78.6 males are literate but only 58.8 women are literate literacy is uh considered uh, 15 and over being able to read and write this is from the cia world Factbook uh percentage this is compared to you know we have some places that are 100 percent like norway and finland us is down around the 99 percent we're pretty close not totally 100 there are some places really low again like afghanistan um 28.1%, only 12.6% of females are literate in Afghanistan. They are they're among the lowest in those scores, not surprisingly. But um but yeah, I thought I thought it was really good. They did say that the boarding school was paying for her education in that sense, so I don't know if it was funded by some sort of um you know, outside group trying to encourage underrepresented women getting education. Maybe. But, but that was a whole obstacle again in itself just she was from a lucky possibly fairly progressive family that was letting her go to school where a lot of countries it's considered a waste of time to go to school especially when you're poor when it seems like it would make more sense to actually go to school when you're poor or or as a boy because when you're poor you just work on the farm but um so as we as we touched on there was a few themes in the diary of a teenage girl um but one of them was about love and she does by the way this actress um is 23 she's not 15 not surprisingly there's a lot of nudity in this film but 
she says um, towards the end, I always thought I wanted to be exactly like my mom, but she thinks a ma- uh, she thinks she needs a man to be happy. I don't. Then the final line in the movie says, so maybe nobody loves me. Maybe nobody will ever love me, but it's not about being loved by somebody else, which I think is very important. Um, too many people put their value in life about what people think about them and about um, outside validation, outside love, things like that. And it's just, it's like very basic. It's one of the first cliches I remember hearing about psychology or from my mom or so. I just remember hearing it really young is if you don't love yourself, no one else is going to love you. Like it doesn't matter how many people like you. You see that with some of these actresses, you know, and stuff we we're talking about that kill themselves. They could have all the acclaim and notoriety and richness in the world, but if they're not comfortable with who they are, uh, it's just not going to work out. I understand that self-esteem comes from within, but it also comes with from without, you know, out on your outside too. It's it's always good to be told that you're doing a good job or that you're pretty or that you're loved. Um, I don't think it's fair to uh, ask somebody to stand alone without those outside feeds coming in because then you don't know if you're doing a good job or that you're loved by somebody else. Even though you love yourself, it's good to hear those things. It's good for your self-esteem, your self-efficacy, those kind of things. You can't just walk around without any kind of outside um I suppose, especially when you're younger, when you really don't know how to do those things. Well, I mean, I know for sure that when I was, say, 15, 16, that I needed a lot more outside validation. Um, I needed acceptance from my peers. I needed to feel popular. I needed to feel what I considered was love at the time, where now it's like, you know, if I had to live in the forest or Walden's Pond for the rest of my life, it wouldn't be such a bad thing. I could just kind of hang out by myself. I'm comfortable with myself. I'm going to amuse myself. I I think I've evolved. We'll talk a little bit about the, uh, you know, how we evolve as people or one theory of it. Um, but yeah, she. there's several quotes in the movie where she's talking about what she thinks is love or an idea. She talks a lot about she just wants the touch of someone else. She uh, asks, she wonders if there's someone out there that loves her that she doesn't know about. About the boyfriend, she wonders if he's thinking about her. There's another time she asks, I wonder if he's masturbating, thinking about me. I mean, all these things that are skewed versions of what love could be. Um, You know, that's something she's figuring out. So, the last thing I have and then we can go on with some other things is speaking of psychology I kind of wanted to run through some of these characters in the movie The Diary of a Teenage Girl we don't really have to do psychological profiles but maybe um, just talk about them briefly who they were in the movie what their role was what you thought about them we'll start with kind of maybe I keep saying kind of like Matt always says it's bothering me it's not kind of um I do want to say this movie, Diary of a Teenage Girl, it started out as a graphic novel, and then um, the person that wrote and directed it, she uh, she bought the rights to it and developed it as a play, and I read a little bit of the script for the play. There's, there's some more scenes. There's some more detail. Um, you know, in the movie, there's that girl that she kind of starts hanging out with and has the bad thing. 
there's like more stuff about her, her and they have like some jealousy issues. So kind of interesting going into stuff that they had to, they, they left out of the movie for one reason or another. So we'll start with minor character Chuck. So Chuck was the guy, possibly gay, because they talked about that, that was in the back of the class, kind of the stoner-looking kid that ended up giving her the acid. Mm-hmm. I thought he was an. I liked his fir- the first time I saw him on on screen uh, when she's pa- when uh, the girls passing notes back and forth between the popular kid that that kind of stoner dude just looking out the window. And I just thought I like that guy. I like. Just watching him. He's just staring out the window while the teacher's talking. Um, anything to say about him? He seemed like a nice guy. Just kind of going with the flow like a like an acid hippie. Yeah, he seemed uh, unremarkable. Kimmy, that was her friend. She was sort of the town pump, it seemed like. Um, a little bit too sexually liberated for her own good for that age. She was one of those people that thought that she knew everything. Like, oh, it's no big deal. We just had a threesome with your stepdad. Don't worry about it. Let's, uh, like, you know. Let's just have breakfast. I had, um, no, I didn't really have friends like her, but I had friends, uh, some of my friends that were girls had friends like her that were just very, just about just getting pumped all the time and looking like whores. So, (laughs) interesting, interesting girl. She probably, she seemed, though, very more, um, at ease and comfortable like she didn't really seem like that she was having sex to fulfill a need like the main character as much it wasn't such a longing or a hole or a daddy issue as much as just like i'm i'm old i'm older and sophisticated and this is what sophisticated european models do is they have sex that's kind of the vibe i got from her that she was just kind of naive and just she didn't have the connection with it that the main character did the main character was having trouble being distant in her sexual relationships, even the 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 popular guy. There's a scene where she's in the back seat with the popular guy, and she's like, "What's wrong?" And he's like, "I've just never had sex with someone that is like is I think he says passionate, but it's like almost like she's devouring him." I think it's only because she started having a sexual relationship with somebody who was older. If she started having a sexual relationship with him, it wouldn't have been that way. Maybe, but. Again, she just seemed very more emotionally involved. I mean, that was part of the, the, the hook in the movie is that she thought she was having emotional feelings for the stepdad where or the boyfriend where um, and we'll get to him in a minute. We'll, we'll skip ahead. So then we have, oh, we have the younger sister, Gretel. What a horrible name, Gretel. She was like, um, I forgot this is something I wanted to. To brush up on it, I didn't get a chance. But she was one of the better people in the film. We didn't see a lot of her. She was more of the conscience, more of the police dog, policeman. She was the typical little sister, the tatty tail, the tattletale, the the nosy one. But she like wrote the note on on the sister's door, like I know what you've been doing. You're a horrible person. You're slutty. You've been doing drugs. You know, she was the moral fiber. She was the consciousness of the family, which is does typically happen if you have more than one sibling and you have kind of a um for a nice way of putting it a liberal household with a lot of not a lot of structure usually one sibling's going to take on the the kind of the hero role i think that's what i did when i was a kid are you getting tired no okay you don't have anything to say about most of these people though no i'm just listening sorry 
Okay, and then we had an interesting guy, uh, Pascal, played by Christopher Maloney. He was the mom's former boyfriend. They weren't married, right? Just a Just former boyfriend. boyfriend. He was an interesting guy. Um, he, he did give her some good life lessons, like how to handshake and, and how to be assertive and in and, and a, and a way of giving yourself confidence by staring someone in the other eye and thinking in your head, I'm better than you. Part I thought was interesting about him, they have the sign, the, the scene in the in the cafe, and um, he keeps telling to Gretel, call me dad, damn it, like he's getting really pissed off. Yeah, I thought that was interesting, like why you wouldn't have both the girls call you dad, but I guess it's an age thing once they become teenagers. It's different. And, and also, I can't imagine just being a boyfriend that came in at some point when the kids were probably already four, five, six, and demanding to be called dad. I think I, that I was wouldn't. her dad. Huh? I think that was oh, her dad. Oh, you think that was her dad? I think that was both of their dads. No. But because she was older... Um, and he was not around. You're right. She thought it was okay to call him by his name. You're right. So I got confused. I think that that was her was their dad. Now that, that I think about it, you're right. So okay, that makes a little bit sense. Um, this is one of those guys, and I think I end up acting like this, or people think about um, me like this sometimes. Is they have to bring up all the places they've been. They have to over exaggerate languages and their education, and, and talk about. Like, in this cafe scene, so one girl's 15, and Gretel's, what, probably, what would you say, 11? 12. 12. You know, um, giving them both espresso, and or cappuccinos, right, cappuccinos. And Gretel's like, I don't I don't like coffee, I'm going to get tea. And, and Pascal's like, it's not coffee, it's cappuccino. Just very um, you know, hoity-toity, looking down on everyone. I've had stepdads in, in sort of this way, too, where they just think they know so much more than everyone else. They're always giving advice to people, and it's not just advice that they're giving. It's advice that if, if, if I'm taking my time to give you advice, you better listen to it because I'm the smartest person here, that kind of thing. Again, nothing to say about that? No. Um, then we get to, we don't have a lot of her on the screen, but I think kind of interesting. Kristen Wiig playing Charlotte, the mom. So... Um, Charlotte is still considered an attractive mom. I think her boyfriend is a little bit younger than her in the movie. There's a lot of remarks in the film about how attractive Minnie's mom is. Also, Charlotte herself continuously talks about, um, you know, how hot she used to be. There's a part when Minnie comes home that Charlotte says, you're going to wear that to school. You could, you know, wear something that shares off your form. You're not going to have your, your body forever. For is um, open and progressive and liberal as she is, is she's doing a lot of things against the feminist movement, basically saying, as a woman, your value is in how you look. Right. Um, and because she is this type of person that puts a lot of value uh, on looks, that it seemed particularly like it would be particularly tough on her when she finds out that her boyfriend has cheated on her with not only a younger woman but someone that's her daughter i mean that would be tough for anyone to swallow but when you're someone that you usually people that really think about their looks a lot um that's something that's going to be particularly damaging to them i think because they they 
you've just taken something from them that they think is their value, their body, their sex, and now you're going to someone else for those things. Yeah, and and in the movie you can see that it upset her pretty badly for a lot of reasons. For all of those reasons. She can't really hold it together too much. There's a lot of talk from Pascal, the condescending guy. She's a bit of a partier. The daughters um, try to keep from Pascal that their mom's kind of a fuck up, basically. Yeah. Sleeping around. And, and then the mom does end up getting fired from the library. Doing a lot of coke, a lot of drinking. Uh, she's found a couple times, passed out on the floor, things like that. Also, um, and it's funny, the second build person they have here is Domino the Cat. I don't really have anything about Domino the Cat other than he made me laugh. Yeah, he's funny. <laughs> then the, the, main, the main actress, uh, Belle Powley, who plays Minnie, she's a 23-year-old British actress, hasn't been in a whole lot of movies we would know here in the States. thought she did a pretty good job in this movie. I think so, Fa- too. Fairly believable as a teenager. Uh, the movie itself was somewhat intense and a little bit uncomfortable just because it reminded me of more of a European movie that you might that you might see um, because of how American films typically depict sex and sexual situations. Well, how they do it is they tend to shy away from it, and if they're going to do it, it's going to be more in a gratuitous manner as far as an MTV version, a... Uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, I can't really think of an example, but a, a more of an unrealistic version right. of models in swimming pools with, you know, drug dealers and Will Smith, where this was more of a realistic view. This is something that could happen, and I think that's what kind of made it uncomfortable. And the actresses w- w- did such a good job of playing an awkward teenager and that you knew she was making mistakes and everyone in the film was pretty much imperfect that it was it's just kind of hard to watch because you just you want it you want to be like protective of those characters and shake them and say what the hell are you doing don't you know that this isn't going to lead to anything but trouble or don't you know you shouldn't be doing this like as far as the adults but oh i need to go back i forgot i did skip monroe alexander uh skarsgård who who was from true blood uh, the 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 boyfriend he, similar to many in some ways, I think, he was a, he was 35. He's one of these guys, and I've seen a lot of them. Actually, I'm, in some ways, I am one of these, although not as bad. You see a lot of guys, not only in their 30s, in their 40s, 50s, or 60s, that n- never have fully grown up. They still act like little 12, 13-year-old boys. They... um you know they're like they're like the Pooh Bear with their hand in the honey pot. Like they know they're doing wrong, but they they would and, and they really do know they're not wrong wrong. But for some reason they can't help themselves. Um, not just because of that, but just emotionally very young. Like when he gets stopped by the cops and rides around in the back of the police car, and he thinks that's like the coolest thing ever that he rode around in the back of a police car the whole night while he was in Sacramento. That he calls Minnie and says, "I think you're the only one that would." appreciate the story like he relates on a mental level almost mm-hmm. to where they do like play fighting and wrestling um he just hasn't matured into a hundred percent man and that's obviously you know another reason why he's having sex with a 15 year old girl that's his girlfriend's daughter because no normal person is going to do that Conti- especially 
that happens once, yeah, that's pretty bad. But to keep doing it again and again, and then when he says, we need to stop doing this, and then they do it again and again, and then she kind of freaks out on him and says, like, I'm going to tell my mom, which is just one reason why no guy should ever do any of that, because you know that you're going to get caught. And then there's, like, a line where they're just laying together, and he starts, like, getting into her, and he's like, well, if we make love, are you sure you're going to be okay? Like... A 35-year-old guy doesn't need to be asking a 50-year-old girl that. Not talking about the legalities and the age things, but emotionally, he knows what's right and wrong. Mm-hmm. Or he should. I agree. So a very stunted person. Um, I felt kind of bad for him, especially at the end when his business didn't take off and he was just kind of jogging by himself and he's just broke. And basically, she is becoming an adult at that point i felt and he's still stunted so anyway going back to her as i said she seemed to have very needy issues i think part of it came from her mom uh, i think in a lot of environments where you don't where you don't have any structure um sometimes kids do need that uh they do talk about that her mom stopped giving her a t- like often never touched her or anything like that or hugged or anything like that that kids need that occasionally and that i think that her father figures in the past had been very distant people so she was attracted to kind of unattainable distant men and you know like a lot of women do this and men do this they, they chase those things that are bad for them and then as soon as he stops being distant and says becomes vulnerable and says that he loves her and he needs her she loses all interest in that i mean i've had i had a a friend that was a guy that was always would always chase these really hot, you know, girls, and but as soon as they liked him, he lost all interest. I'm not really sure why. It's just I guess it's one of those things like if you're attainable, you're not that valuable, hmm. sort of thing. I didn't really get that from her in the situation. To me, it was just that he. I think she grew up once he realized once she realized he was. Well, that I think, image her too. She was like, um. Well, I agree with that too. I do think that that was her turning point, and I think that was like the pivot when she started realizing that she didn't need his love, she didn't need anyone's love, that she just needed to be okay with herself. But also, um, I do think that part of it was that he didn't fit that psychological profile. I'm sure even after that, she grew up in a hypothetical sequel that will never happen when she's matured and realizes what it means to love herself that she would still probably be attracted to men that are that are distant that will set her up for fa- for failing you know heartbreak well just not ever being that interested or invested all right so you know i was going to talk a little bit about this we already kind of blue passes but you've heard of you've heard of maslow's hierarchical hierarchical chart of needs mm-hmm. right this is like i think i learned this in like seventh grade psychology so at the base we have our biological and physiological needs air food water shelter warmth sleep um the idea of this chart, if you guys aren't familiar with it, is that it's a few levels, and in order to progress or mature or evolve into the next level, 
you can't do that until you've fully satisfied your basic level. Each level. So there's no way you can start worrying about other things if you don't have enough food or enough oxygen or enough water. I mean, that's you just become a beast and primal at that. Even as a human, you're not going to worry about going to school or, or, or social acceptance. Number two isn't too much different. That's your safety needs. That's protection from the elements, security, order, law, stability. This just comes into society where if you're in a war-stricken area or you're in a, um, a high-crime neighborhood, those are going to be your worries. You're not going to be able to concentrate on a lot of other things in your life if you're not, if you don't know. Um, or it's more like the age group, like the first, what you're talking about is infancy. Mm-hmm. What Now what you're talking about is being an adolescent, like five, six, seven years, you know, those are the things that you're worried about. Sometimes, yeah. But you can still be an adult and be worrying about food or shelter. Or you could be, you know, the, the head of your household, of your family, worrying about if you're going to keep your kids safe because you live in Compton I or I understand, but, I mean, the basic structure of the... Um, third level... is that? Third level is love and belongingness. This is basically, I think, where Mimi, many was, that she couldn't really get... It was hard for her to get her esteem needs met because she hadn't quite fulfilled how she fit into the world with her peers with other people this does deals with things like friendships intimacy affection and love um, friends romantic relationships so she was starting to get into this but they weren't really authentic friends or romantic relationships they were her version because as she kind of talked in the movie she didn't know what those things were i mean it's not something you can really read in a book it's something you experience so number four is esteem needs. This divides into, uh, well, as Maslow had it, into lower and higher esteem needs. So lower esteem needs are things that come from outside. Um, they're more physical things like being attractive, um, feeling good because someone complimented you. Higher esteem things go into more things like self-respect, like you, you're, you're proud of yourself for doing certain things. So on my paper here, it has uh, achievement, Mastery, independence, status, dominance, prestige, self-respect, respect from others. Um, so yeah, one comes from the outside, one comes from the inside. Then supposedly, in this theory, the final step is self-actualization. And this could mean a few things. Um, this could mean finding w- what fulfills you or what you think your role is in the world. I mean, it could be there are people that grow up and all they want to be is a mother and a wife. And that's their self-actualization. There's some people that feel that they need to go build schools in Africa. It's, it's just doing, it's finding your own, own rule. And then later on, Maslow did add another six level above this that was that to fully develop, you had to give yourself completely to something outside of yourself. It was almost a religious thing. Like, um... Nothing really matters unless you were doing it for the betterment of someone else, for like the greater good. Which, there's this is a very, well not very old, I think this came from the 50s or 60s. There's been a lot of critiques and attacks on this. I just thought it was an interesting thing because I... F- it's a core theory of psychology, one of them. Well, it was. Like I said, it's been pretty attacked quite a bit since then. Um, but I think it works... All the theories are... are- now are based off of all of the original ones so it's still there okay they've just all been modified to fit what's going on now okay 
well, we're, it's not a psychology podcast, and you know we could go back and forth on on the positives and negatives. I want to stick on the on the positive side because, as I was trying to say, it does it does on a very basic way. You can use it as a tool to evaluate the needs of the people in this movie, and especially the main character, Minnie. I agree. All right. Anything else that you would like to add about either one of these movies? There was a lot going on in the um, Diary of a Teenage Girl. The, the thing I would say about On the Way to School is that it was a very basic documentary. One of the things I liked about it is it wasn't too artificial as far as documentaries went. They didn't try to sway you too much. There was there was no voiceovers. There was no narrator. It was just the invisible eye watching these kids go about their things. And the only thing we saw was a couple of lines of dialogue between the kids and their family or between the kids and each other. And just the subtitle of who they were, where they were from, how many miles it took them to school, or kilometers they put in, how many kilometers it took them to school. And it kind of left us on the outside to observe. So... I liked the message. It made me feel appreciation, but it was a very surface documentary. It wasn't too deep. It left me feeling happy, kind of in a cotton candy sort of happy way, um, but, you know, still worthwhile. Just you're not going to get, you know, I thought it might have been a little bit deeper with, like, child soldiers and things like that. But I thought it was interesting to see what other kids have to go through just to go to school while everybody here takes advantage of it and makes me want to push for, like I said, uh, they really need to take certain things out of school to make people really appreciate what public education is. There's no Nobody said that um, we're going to feed you. Nobody said that we're going to bus you. All we said is you have a right to free education and that's it. And I think people need to stop looking gifts hor- gift horses in the mouth. Yeah, it did It did give me some appreciation and that's kind of what I took from it. Yeah. Um, you know, worthwhile to see. Not the greatest documentary in the world, but it's not going to kill you either. And as I said, uh, Diary of a Teenage Girl. There's, there's other themes. There's a lot of... Um, themes about being an artist the girl is an artist she's she's like drawing comics um there's a lot of dialogue i i think that if if you're a if you're a woman or a girl or used to be a girl you probably could get a lot more out of this movie i've heard that a lot of people women females were excited to see this because i'd never really heard this side told before exactly or in this way or maybe this bluntly Again, kind of a new-ish or untreaded territory for American films. I do think European films are a little bit better at tackling this subject matter, but maybe not a film that you want to watch with your grandparents. No, I said that to a couple people. Like, it's, you know, I liked the movie, but I don't think it's for everybody. I, I Another reason I'm glad I didn't see it with the movie group, just I just... I mean, just sitting with Heathen, I was sort of uncomfortable because you almost feel like a voyeur, like you're watching something you shouldn't be seeing. Not that I'm uncomfortable watching sexuality in a film, just, you know, it was an uncomfortable sort of 15-year-old girl and a 30, and not, not, not even the age difference, just the fact that she was not emotionally fully formed and she was being taken advantage of. 
constantly through the film, not just from him, but later on through one of her supposed friends and also her best friend, you know? Mm-hmm. All right. You ready to do the ranks? Sure. So I'm just going to rank the five kids we saw in this film. We had Jackson, the Kenyan, Carlito, the Argentinian, Zahira, the Moroccan, Samuel, the Indian from India, and Minnie from San Francisco. I'm just going to rank them based on how difficult I think their lives were or the obstacles they had. Our first topic was was obstacles, things they had to go through. So this is just my opinion. If I had to put myself, uh, let's say if I had to put myself in any any of these kids' places, uh, which I think would be easier to take the places of and which I would think would be the most difficult. So I'll start with the easiest. I think Minnie, the one from Diary of a Teenage Girl, I think that she had a lot of problems going on. She, But there were all things that we all pretty much have gone through as a high school kid in America. Just self-doubt, not feeling attractive, wanting to be loved, needs, things like that. So they weren't totally destitute. They did have to borrow money from douchebag, but they had shelter. They had a lot of those needs that we talked about. Um, you know, our mom wasn't completely crazy. Could be worse. Number four, as far as ease, would be Carlito, the Argentinian. It looked like his family was, you know, okay. Like I said, they seemed in the documentary the most modern. They had modern appliances. He was like, before he went to school, he was in the mirror combing his hair, like something the other kids didn't really care about. Like, who cares what my hair looks like? I'm going to get eaten by a lion. So. One of his obstacles was, wasn't that different from many. He still wanted to look presentable. He still, you know, was, was important to him to stand out among his peers. And he had a horse. He didn't have to walk or push a wheelchair. Number three. So this was the only kind of tough choice between choosing between Jackson, the Kenyan, and Zahira, the Moroccan. But I went with Jackson. Even though he had to avoid snakes and lions and elephants, he was still a boy. And being a boy in Africa, I think, is still easier than being a female in almost anywhere else in the world, especially, as I said, a Muslim country. Um, so I put Jackson as number three. Number two, Zahira. Um, you know, it's just it's always going to be a little bit difficult being a female. And again, not as many opportunities in the country she was from. Then number one, Samuel. He had a lot going against him. He couldn't walk. His family was extremely poor. Uh, his wheelchair sucked. It was basically a tetanus machine. Just didn't really... The cool thing about Samuel, though, is he seemed so happy, and he had, like, the best philosophy. He said something like, you're born with nothing, you die with nothing. That's my philosophy. You just are here in life to be a good person. He said he wanted to become a doctor and try to help other kids that had the same issue as him, which I found a lot of that... Um, that's why a lot of people go into psychology. It's a lot of reason people go into certain professions because they want to help people like themselves. So, any comments on my list, Heathen? No, I I just uh, think that that documentary was really good, and I think a lot of people should see it. Yeah, I don't think it was too long either. I, I didn't really. I think it was like an hour and ten minutes. Mm -hmm. It wasn't. It was. It was not going to take you a whole lot of time. All right, let's go to last call. Last call. Bottom of a glass, all I see is a man who 
Last call. So, Heathen, any words for last call? Um, no, just that we have the Primus concert coming up this weekend. Yep. I want to say that if you want to follow along with the podcast and get ahead of things, next week we will be watching Election and Clueless. So go watch those movies. Get some Elisa Silverstone and some Reese... Uh, what did I call her? That's her name, right? Reese Witherspoon and Alicia Silverstone. Sorry for some reason their names got mixed up in my head. And then, uh, you know, some good old Matthew Broderick. And some Paul Rudd. Clueless. Actually, he looks young and clueless. That's one of the one of the one of the Are movies. Are we watching Clueless? Yeah, Election and Clueless is next oh, week. Oh, okay. So we do have. Oh, anything else, Ethan? No. So playing us out. Um, oh, did you ever get that interview yet with the FWA guys yet? No, they won't return my phone calls. No, I don't know if they have phones. I think they have pagers. You got to page That's them. Probably why I was trying to dial. So yeah, you got to page them. 411 or 911 or whatever that works. So we got one from from them, the Don Tello guy. He sent us a song called Toys I Don't Want to Grow Up. Kind of goes along with the theme of our of our movie. Till next week everybody, keep it wet.